Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Please be seated. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Help us by your Holy Spirit as we interact with it. Help me as I deliver this message. Help us as we hear it. We thank you for your promised work, your supernatural work in our lives. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week I mentioned some of the thought process that went into the naming of our church. So we won't, we won't rehash that, but that's, that's how Christ the Shepherd got its name. And even though the sign blew away and I didn't even notice it, half people did, and so I, I could have taken a straw poll and, and find out who. I, I was just, I, frankly, I was just worried about the parking lot. I was so worried about the parking lot getting done because Omar, our great, uh, our, our great uh, parking lot plower for all these years, uh, was hit and his truck was totaled and he told me he'd find somebody to make sure if it snowed the rest of the season and uh, he came through with flying colors but I was that's all I was worried about Paula can tell you that's all I talked about <laughs> I was getting ready to come in and so I didn't even see the sign um, but uh, even though the sign blew away the, the church name is still Christ the Shepherd we're, we're Christ the Shepherd it's there and um, we're talking in a sermon series about what it means to have Christ as our shepherd well, when we chose the name for the church, uh, we also uh, said, what would be a theme verse, uh, something to correspond to that? And we looked and we chose John 10.10, 10, where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. We wanted something to keep coming back to, to say, why even meet? We're not a political action committee. We're not a club that does this. We're not uh, these things. We are people who meet to talk and, ce- and celebrate and remember 
who Jesus is. So we took that. And then because uh, Jesus later on in our translation said, I came that you might have life and have an abundant life. But I believe it's the NIV translation, one of them that says, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. So, you know, every church plant has to have a slogan, right? That's in the Bible somewhere. (laughs) So we had a slogan, discover a full life. And we had that on our door for a long time with our first logo. We've had three or four logos now. uh, But the first logo, discover a full life. We had this guy here who was great, Mike Cans, transferred to Wisconsin, uh, sadly, uh, for us, near his parents, so good for him. But Mike said, after everything was already chosen and on the door and everything, he said, don't you think somebody walking in here and they see Discover a Full Life, don't you think they might say, my life is already so full as it is. I don't want a full life. I want a, a less full life. And I thought that's, that's interesting how people could think about that, and maybe that's what we think. What is a full life? What's the abundant life that Jesus promised? Uh, that's in this text this morning. I want us to listen to this and think about uh, that life, that full life, that abundant life, a life as a Christian in this fallen world. What is that? So we're going to think about that this morning. Uh, three points this morning. Uh, we've got to talk about Jesus giving the background for this. And, and so the first thing that, that on our way there to, to discussing that abundant life is point number one. Jesus shows the life that his shepherding brings his flock. That's in verses 7 through 10. Jesus has declared himself to be the good shepherd. He's showing what kind of a life it means if you're in that flock. It's a slightly different metaphor for the sheep pen. This is where it can get confusing because if you, Jesus is talking in verses 1 through 6 about the sheep pen. He's saying there's a doorkeeper and he comes in legitimately and calls his sheep and his sheep hear his voice, everything we talked about last week. Then all of a sudden he's going, I'm the door of the sheep. And you say, what's that? I can't wrap my brain around that. Well, it's two separate things. And, and that old James Boyce helped me so much this week to understand what's going on here. Uh, culturally in those days in the cities, or the little towns, they weren't really, couldn't really hardly call them cities, but the little gathering places, the towns, the shepherds would bring their flocks in at night there would be the doorkeeper. There would be the, like we talked about last week. But what goes on out in the country? What goes on when Jesus takes his sheep and leads them out into the country? How does he protect them at night? And there were these natural places or places that they'd kind of constructed. There were rocks. There were, were ways they could put sheep into an enclosure area that was more rustic or rural. And in that case... The shepherd couldn't just clock out, go get him a good night's sleep, uh, uh, have a good meal, and and come back the next morning. Shepherd was out there with the sheep. And the shepherd would lay in front of that entranceway uh, to guard the sheep at night. That's the sheep are sleeping in the pen, the shepherd is sleeping there, guarding, allowing his flock, taking care of and protecting his flock. You ever had anybody tell you they were going to kill you? I did. We, we swapped stories at the ESL with some of the Brazilians. Some of them have had that too in my, my ESL class. So I used to take this when I was a youth pastor about uh, 30 or 40 pounds ago and 25 years ago and 
a head full of, handful of hair ago. I was a young man then, and, and I could do that. And I could run with these teenagers, and we'd take teenagers and chaperones. And, and just about every year, we would go down to Jamaica. And we would go, we would, we would go to a school for deaf children, the, Caribbean, the Christian Caribbean Center for the Deaf. We would teach the kids sign language so they could talk. We would do a little VBS at a Salvation Army uh, orphanage uh, down the road uh, for the ones that couldn't learn the sign language. Usually the girls could learn the sign language. They liked the language part and the, the secret language. I'd catch them in youth group all the time talking to each other once they learned it. Boys, we had to have something for them so, so we that, that didn't learn the, the language so well. But we would go down there. And the last night, we would go back to Montego Bay. We would walk up the hill from Miss Betty's old hotels. They're probably not there by now. Mosquito nets and everything, because we were on a budget. We'd stay at Miss Betty's, walk up the hill. I would get my classic pineapple shake with my curried lamb. That was my, my yearly tradition. We'd walk up, and all of us, all the teenagers and adults and all that, we were walking back after our restaurant down to Miss Betty's. We were going to fly out early the next day. And I hear a commotion. Some guy is yelling. He's yelling at a girl in our youth group who did what she wasn't supposed to do. He had been trying to sell these little trinket uh, bracelets that said Irie on them or something like that. And she said, I'll buy one on our way back from the restaurant. She lied. <laughs> she had no intention. She was just brushing them off, and she didn't say, no, I don't want one. So he was trying to make her. He's calling her a liar and everything. And I said, you've got to st-. I, I heard that, and I went back and stopped. I sent everybody on. And I said, you need to just move on. The guy goes, how would you like it if I told you to move, if I told you to move on? I said, I wouldn't like that. So I talked to him. I went and spent a couple bucks on one of his bracelets to, to calm him down. He was wearing a Baltimore Orioles cap, and he waxed uh, Bob Marley on me and said, you're a bird. You have a bird on your cap. You are free, and you are. He started saying all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, he took a change. And I got down to the fence, and there was a fence to Miss Betty's place, and I got on the other side of the fence, and he walked right up to the fence. He goes, you see this scar? I'm gangster. I got this in prison. I know you're staying at Miss Betty's. Tonight I will kill you. And he turned and walked away. I'm like, whoa. Well, I didn't believe him. But it's a halfway threat. I didn't want to go tell all the youth group and have that be, you know, the, the, the real scaredy cats and people, and that be the story we take back to the church, not about all the people who came to know Christ and all the, the stuff. And, and so what do you do? So I just said to the leaders, I said, you know, we're not staying at the deaf school anymore behind Enclosed walls. There's a lot of people around here. Uh, keep your eyes open and and uh, just be be on the alert. And I did not want him. The girls were staying in one old hotel. Uh, the boys were staying in the other. The girls' one was the first one he would find. And I just said, "Well, he's going to come for me. I'm going to let him find me." And I turned the lights on on the screen-in porch in the girls' place. Uh, made sure there was a little club or something there if I needed to, slept with one eye open and said, he can just come get me. But I don't want him, if he's really serious, I don't want him going in and damaging any of these people that I'm responsible for. Uh, Laid there, guarding. And of course, nothing came from it. 
to never know. Jesus said, he's the door. He's the laying there one. He's the guarding one. Nothing's going to get to you if you're his sheep. They've got to go through him. They've got to get past him. Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the one. Uh, Our enemy, the devil, is a credible threat. This guy told me his name was Cheap Charlie. There's nothing cheap about the devil. The devil really has a track record of hating God's people. He really, truly would like to kill you. He would like to mess your life up. Worse than kill you, I think he would like you to live a long, slow, torturous death of, of, of doubt and, and, and hurt. And anything he can do to destroy you, he would do. Not your friend. Real threat. You need a real shepherd to protect you from this. Jesus said, I'm the door. I'm sleeping in front of this gate. And anybody who wants to come in has got to go through me. And then when it's time, I'm going to lead my sheep out safely to their pasture. Jesus is that door. What does he bring to his flock? It says he brings salvation to his people. Verse 9, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. He'll be saved. Biblical language, to be saved. That's Bible talk. Get saved. Be saved. What does that mean? Saved from what? The Bible says, You has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Salvation has something to do with coming to life spiritually from spiritual death. It's not just talking about a future salvation, though. Not just saying, you've got to rough it through this life, and then you'll get to heaven. That's where you'll finally be saved. Somebody said, like a lot of people have said this, and, and uh, it was good for me to hear said one time and really think about it. Uh, if you're a Christian, you can say this, I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. Here's Boyce again. A better way of talking about it is that we are saved from sin's penalty, from sin's power, and from sin's presence. By entering in through Christ, we immediately escape sin's penalty so that we need not fear our sins will ever rise up against us. This is justification. I was way out of line once as an assistant pastor. Way out of line. And I went and apologized to that senior pastor because I was way out of line for what I had said to him and about him and inferred about him. I, I was just sophisticated enough to know I could do it in a holy type way. It was very unholy. I went and apologized. He said, I will forgive, but I will never forget, and I'm watching you. (laughs) I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Um, I'm glad that when I'm way out of line against God and I go and confess my sins to God, God says, your sins are removed as far as east is from the west. Uh, I will remember them no more. That's what I had hoped to hear from that senior pastor. I didn't hear that. Wham. I walked out of there uh, feeling worse than when I went in. You're saved from your sins. 
You confess your sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're saved from those sins. That's justification. Slate wiped clean. He's not holding on to the emails or the text messages in case he has to use them against you. You confess. You acknowledge your sins. You come to Jesus. You confess and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Forgiven. You're saved. Justification. That's sin's penalty. Then, too, we also enter into a life in which we are increasingly delivered from sin's power. It seems like more and more we become, um, like we just catch ourselves. Things that we used to just instinctively do that were wrong, uh, first we start to think about whether or not to do them before we do them and confess. And then pretty soon we start to, to not even do them and we don't even hardly realize it. That's sanctification. That's sin's power. It's, it's, it, it recedes in our lives. The Bible calls it sanctification. Finally, we look forward to a day marked by the return of Christ or else our passing in or our passing into his presence through death. Either Christ comes back or we die, but that day in which even the presence of sin will be gone and our salvation will be perfected. Nobody in heaven sinning or being sinned against, and it's gone. Glorification. Those three things we talk about uh, biblically, the, the, the biblical definitions are good. And we try and say, well, I don't want to speak Christianese. This isn't Christianese. This is just a theological, precise terms we need to know. Justification. Sanctification, glorification. The three steps in the life of a Christian. Saved from sin's power, saved from sin's, uh, or saved from sin's penalty, saved from sin's power, and saved from sin's presence. That's our walk as Christians. Jesus said in, in, in verse 9 of uh, this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. But in addition to this, there is a certain kind of life that we are given. He says they'll go in and out and find pasture. There's a living, there is a freedom in Christ, a going in and out and finding pasture. Uh, we think we're so free, we don't want to constrict ourselves and, and, and tie ourselves into Jesus and, and, and the Bible and all that. Hey, the, the ones who are really in prison are the ones who are slaves to all this stuff, slaves to peer pressure. Slaves to the fashion, slaves to uh, what everybody's telling us, to these lies and liars that just keep telling and want to be our shepherds, these ones that come in to steal and kill and destroy. And they don't care about you uh, if you're dead in a ditch as long as you bought their tennis shoes before you died. Think about that. They don't care about you. Buy their stuff. That's what they care about. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. I came that you might have abundant life. So they'd play us. The tradition I grew up in, <laughs> we were pretty conservative. We were, you know, like not, not, not in a political way, but just they, they were a little nervous about all these newfangled things coming into Christianity. And they were a little suspicious back in the 60s and 70s about this uh, Christian rock music. <laughs> And they played us this one song, which I think is the dumbest song you, you could ever hear. Chris, I, I, I still remember it. I looked it up and listened to it again on the internet. A guy sang about Jesus and talking about the abundant life. He kept the wine a-flowing. 
he kept the music going. And even though he came to save our souls, he never forgot to tell us how to have a good time. And, and you know, and I think they were right when they told us those might not be, uh, that's not the best description of the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Or that Christian band I took the youth group to, and, and they were pretty good and, and solid in their lyrics and all that. It was a good old rock and roll band. But at the very end, they said to the teens, and remember one thing, just don't forget this one thing. And I thought, what's that one thing they're going to tell my teenagers that I'm responsible for? What the one thing was? Christians can have fun too. (laughs) I'm like, that's true, but that's not the one thing, is it? What's the abundant life? What does it mean when Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly? What's he talking about? When he says, go in and out and find pasture. How about the 23rd Psalm? He makes me lie down in green pastures. How about Philippians 4.19? Uh, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He'll meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Does it say he'll meet all your desires according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? Well, I hope not, because sometimes my desires are probably like your desires. Sometimes we desire things that are wrong or things that are not good for us. We were talking about prayer in the kids' Sunday school class, and I mentioned a song, and and a couple of my kids knew the song. I thank God for unanswered prayers. (laughs) They knew exactly, because... They, they hear that on their car stereo when they go. Garth Brooks singing about how he prayed every night that he could, uh, that this girl would be his wife. And he prayed. And that was the prayer, the prayer, the prayer, the prayer. And God denied him that prayer. And then he's with his wife who he loves and he runs into that old one that he prayed for and he says, I thank God for unanswered prayers. If God gave us everything we desired, um, we would be messed up because we don't get it right a lot. God said, I will give you an abundant life. I will meet all of your needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Your needs will be met. The psalmist said, Never have I seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. I didn't write down the the tag on that. You just get to look that one up. Never have I seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. God says, I will supply all of your needs. You can have that abundant life. In this day of sky-high inflation, is he promising that you get to eat prime rib every day while everybody else tries to make their budget match? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you're going to have food to eat. I'm going to give you, and I'm going to provide for you. And that's an abundant life. Who was disappointed when the prodigal son came home in addition to the older brother? The fatted calf. (laughs) God provided for your needs. Uh, There'd be somebody hurting. Anyway, you don't get everything you need or you want. You get your needs. Can't always get what you want. Last quote of the day, and we need to hear this. This is the last one from, from Boyce. He preached about 
five sermons on, on John 10, um, and, and it was worth reading. I said, I can't believe I've, I've neglected him uh, on this. Here's what he said. What is the full or abundant life? It is not necessarily a long life, although there are verses that promise a long life to some, such as to those who honor their father and their mother. He references Exodus and Ephesians on that. He said, what is the full or abundant life? It is not necessarily a life free from sorrow or sickness either, although God certainly does spare us many sorrows that we might otherwise have and often preserves us from sickness. It is not a life of sickly piety where everything is beautiful or precious or just wonderful or, my favorite, blessed. It's not that. The abundant life as Scripture speaks of it is above all the contented life in which contentment comes. Now we've got to really listen to this. It's the contented life in which contentment comes from the confidence that God is equal to every emergency and does indeed supply all our genuine needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The contented life is the life of the sheep who finds himself in the hands of the good shepherd. There may be dangers. In fact, there will be dangers. There may be storms at times, even drought and famine. Still, in the hands of a good shepherd, the sheep is content and life is bountiful. Contentment equals satisfaction. Satisfaction equals to have enough. Greek word. And I couldn't write the Greek letters, and so I transliterated parisos, um, is, is the word that's used for abundant. It's got a mathematical meaning. Uh, it means a surplus. Used a couple of times in, 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 also in, in the Gospels. Um, the 12 baskets of food that were left over. Jesus fed 5,000 people. There were 12 baskets of food left over. There weren't 5,000 baskets of food left over, one for everybody there or every family there. There were 12 baskets left over. There was enough, but some to spare. You know, people have said, well, one for each of the disciples to take. They had lunch. They didn't have to cook lunch the next day. They could, could eat the leftovers, and then they were probably pretty good. Um, there was enough. That's the, the same Greek word used in that. Uh, another place is Matthew eleven nine. Jesus is talking about John the Baptist and comparing him to other prophets. He said, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. No one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was that word, that, that abundant, that more. He was all the prophets which were great. He was that more described by Jesus. Jesus says, you get life, and you get just that, that abundant life. You get that, that needs met, that security. The other time is in Mark 12, 33, the scribe repeating Jesus' words about the greatest commandment. Remember, he came up and he says, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, uh, uh, the ten are summed up in these two, love Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe repeated these words, and Jesus was satisfied. The scribe said this, um, uh, you have truly said that God is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more abundant uh, to the full. It's much more. To, to do that is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. He didn't say the burnt offerings and sacrifices were bad because they were pointing to Christ. He's saying 
something that happens in your heart. That's that, but that's more. That's something in addition. Jesus said, I came that you might have life, be saved from sin, from its uh, penalty, um, power, and presence, but I also came for something more. So it's not just a transaction. Get saved, sign here on the dotted line. Now get out of here. I've got to find somebody else to, to, to get saved too. It's no, you're invited as a Christian to a life of having a shepherd that provides more. Abundant, full. Uh, it's greater than. Coach says about their team. Hey, the Iowa Hawkeye women won the Big Ten Women's Championship. Yesterday, the men beat Indiana. Uh, I just said that for our Indiana people. I had to work that in. Uh, they play today. But, but that, women's, that women's coach said, I love our girls. Today they gave 110%, which is a mathematical impossibility whenever a coach says that. We know that. But, but, but the, what the coach is saying is they gave everything and they found a little bit more. Coach doesn't say they gave 500% because we go, that's ridiculous. But that little bit, it's like that 110% in that uh, coach language. Uh, Jesus says, I came that you have life, but more than that here on earth. Not just, not just your soul is safe from the flames of hell and you've got a place being prepared for you in heaven, but there's something even as you live that's just a little, it's abundant, it's full, it's more. How does Jesus give this life, this life to the full, this abundant life to his people? How does he do it? Verses 11 through 15. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Talks about the hired hand who flees and he doesn't care about the sheep. He's He'll, he'll go get a job somewhere else. He'll, he'll lead, lead some other people because he doesn't care about He cares about himself. Not Jesus. Jesus in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. How does he give that full life? By giving up his abundant life. Philippians 2. He gave up what he had in heaven to come down, to live a life of perfection and to be killed on that cross for all of our sins, if we all just named our one worst one. Uh, think of the wrath of God poured down on, on, on somebody who did our worst one that we hope nobody ever remembers or finds out about. And then take all of his people, the, the millions of people, billions, however many people are, are saved, take not just their worst one, but even their quote-unquote least worst one, if we, if we want to categorize it. We know, we know all sin. Take all of that and put it on Jesus. That's how he gives life to all of his people, by taking all of their deaths and their death warrants on him. And he pays for them all, and he's capable of that. God's wrath is being capable of poured down on that one person channeled. Uh, You think of the agony of the cross. That's what's going on. I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to give you life, and not just life, but abundant life. But I'm going to do it by giving my life. The shepherd lays down the life for the sheep. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Bible also says the wages of sin is death. That's our paycheck. <laughs> Get set up with a new pay company. No, I don't. No, I don't want that payment. The wages of sin is death. Uh, direct deposit? Nope. <laughs> I'm running from that paycheck. That's death. 
The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, or translated maybe even better, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's how he gives you life. Look at verse 18 in our text this morning. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Talking about his life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my one accord. Eternal plan. Father, Son, Spirit from the beginning. They loved each other. It's not like they played rock, paper, scissors to see who had to to get this job. It's not like uh, uh, they had a vote and Jesus had to be the one and toss him over the side of heaven and come down and die on the cross. He said, I lay my life down. I want to die for you. I want to be the shepherd that gives you life. I want to take the wrath on myself and pay the penalty for your sins. No one takes it from me. If he hadn't wanted to go to the cross, if he hadn't willingly gone to the cross, he wouldn't have had to. We don't make the rules. God makes the rules. And God said, this is what I want to do for my people. And I would say that uh, since we understand the Bible to be talking about a particular atonement, like you personally, not the chance of you, let's see what happens. It's not that. I want to die for you, your sin. I said in my notes, it's not like the old let's make a deal show. Where the guy's got this in his hand. He says, maybe I'll trade this for whatever's behind door number two and you're back there. And he goes, oh no, bad deal. I made a wrong trade. No, he knows exactly what's back there. He knows what he's giving up for. And I would say, you need to say if you're a Christian, he must love me very much. Boy, that shepherd knows me. That shepherd must love me very much to make that kind of a trade, to take me with my sin, to bear bear the just punishment for my sin. I must be very much loved by the God of the universe. And if that's the one thing you take from this sermon, take that. Take that and think about that. God loves me. I'm loved. I'm God's daughter and I'm loved. I'm God's son. I'm loved by God particular, not taking a chance. Okay, we shook it out. Now what do we get? Any, any uh, diamonds here? Let's put the pan back in the water and see if we can find some more. Not that, particular. You died for you, and no one took it from him. He laid it down willingly. That's your shepherd. All types of people. He did say, whoever comes through the gate. All types of people. All types, okay? Uh, That's who the blessings are for. That's the third point in verse 16. He says, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. Uh, In this context, we we, we know strongly uh, at the very least, and and, and you could just make the case, and everybody makes the case, he's talking about the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. He's saying there's no race barrier. There are Jewish people that he came to save. There are Gentile people he came to save. Boy, they got mad because they, they, they wanted it only for them. They had the scriptures. They had all the Old Testament that was pointing to him. And he's saying, uh, you read your scriptures, it talks about all the nations being blessed in Abraham. It's, it's for all people, all types of people, whoever comes to me. From Nicodemus in John 3, 
He was upper echelon in, in culture and society. He was a ruler of the people. He was respected, so respected he had to sneak out Jesus and see him by night. To the very next chapter, the very next story, and I don't think that's an accident, is the woman at the well. Samaritan, half-breed, sinner. Well, both were sinners. But all just see the contrast between Nicodemus and the woman at the well, but what they both needed was Jesus to save them. They needed to enter the sheep gate through Jesus. All types of sinners. There's a famous sin list in Corinthians. You can look it up and read it. And, and, and Paul is just listing off these things that are grievous, that God hates, things that are anti-Scripture. And then at the very end, he gets done with this sin list, and he says, and such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been saved. And so there's no sin that we've done that keeps us out as we are repenting and coming to Jesus. Uh, nothing not allowed for Jesus to die for on that cross. Think about it. Think about the blind man in one chapter ago that led into this discussion and how people thought about him and regarded him. Where was he in culture? Where was he in society? Just a blind beggar. Jesus saved him. Blessings are for people who Jesus came to save, uh, the ones he called, the ones that heard his voice, uh, anyone who comes to him. And how did they respond? As we wrap this up today. How did they respond? Well, there was division. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Same thing uh, the world is going to say about the Bible and about Jesus and who he is. Uh, demon, lock him up, get rid of him. Uh, freeze his assets, go into his bank account and just take it because we can do that. And these Christians are bad. They're a blight on society. We don't like them. Uh, that happens in places in the world. Other people responded, and they doesn't say they received him, but they said, well, Jesus isn't so bad. What did the sheep do, though? As the world who doesn't know Jesus is having this debate on if he's really bad and, and every bad word we can think of, uh, whatever our bad words are for our culture to, to call names to people, and other people say well, he's not that bad. But you know what the sheep did? They just kept following, and they kept trusting, and they kept uh, enjoying the life and the abundant life that he gave them. That's what we do. Us sheep who've been saved by our shepherd and who want to follow the shepherd. You're truly a sheep, that's what you're going to do. Christ is our shepherd. Christ is our hope. Christ is the only thing we have that we can really count on. And he may use things to accomplish his will. The Bible talks about him using uh, kings and governments who didn't know him. The Bible talks about him using uh, financial blessings and gifts and things like that. God, Jesus can use all that stuff. But the one who we follow, who we trust, who's our shepherd, is Jesus himself. And I would say for Christians, keep trusting, following Jesus. Read about him. Pray to God through him. Uh, trust. Let him minister you through his Holy Spirit. And you just keep living a Christian life. And if you're not a Christian yet, well, then I would just say, 
No time like the present that, that would be better. Sinner's prayer, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. I, I, don't, I don't know everything about everything, but God, I'm, I'm believing. Just help me. Uh, one of the best prayers I ever prayed in the Bible. I believe. Help my unbelief. And, and, and say, I'm going to follow you. He who comes to me, Jesus said, I will in no wise cast out. So let's pray. Let's go to the table. Another, we heard about him in, the, in our song. We heard about him in our word. Now we're going to see him uh, and get this picture that he give, gave to us at the table. So let's pray to, to, to Jesus and let's go to the table now. Lord, thank you so much for being our shepherd. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you for uh, our place to nestle down in that sheep pen. Thank you that we can sleep safely and soundly because you're the one who's really in charge. We know there are bad things out there, but we know with you uh, walking ahead of us and behind us and beside us and above us, we know that you, Lord, will help us in this world. We thank you for saving us from sin's penalty. Thank you for saving us from its power. Thank you for the place in heaven where we'll be free from sin's presence. But Lord, we thank you also, in addition to that, for this life you've given us of of leading us and providing for us. Thank you, Lord, even for giving us contentment. I mean, that's such a struggle for, for us sometimes. Thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus